All right, you guys, it is the Outrun Show here with Travis. Jesse. Justin. And we are having our, um, it's early, but Halloween episode. We're a couple, a couple days early. So this is a super spooky episode of the Outrun Show. Um, we're here to scare you into training more. Is that what we're here for? <laughs> scare you into training more. Probably not. Probably not that spooky. But we have some awesome stories to tell and an awesome topic for you today on The Outrun Show. We need a spooky, spooky theme. Yes. Is that good? It just sounded Chinese. That's pretty good. Martial thought, art movie to me. No, you knew what that was, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's from a show. It's from yeah, a TV it's a show. Yeah, it's a TV yeah. show. It's X Files. X Files. Yeah, yeah there it is. X Files scene. Yeah, you did get free calls for that. I was gonna say Twilight Zone, but it wasn't Twilight Zone. It's too. No, no, it wasn't. But yeah, our 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 deep. Or deep roots in the spookies for outrun um orange and orange oh, and dark background you know what's a great show to finish up on at hulu is what we do in the shadows right about now have you guys been watching that is it is the story about vampires the, living the show in the flat. right yeah. yeah yeah but is it new it, this one's new there's, there's a movie so there's a movie and that we've always movie, loved yeah. and then there's a show i haven't watched the yeah show. the show but, is pretty good i don't so, know how you guys you guys like subscribe to like so many different streaming platforms, <laughs> which is why we were talking about streaming last time. And I'm like, we I'm, like a, get I'm a one streaming time. platform at a time kind of guy. Like, hmm. so what's so just Netflix and then it's Amazon Prime, and then maybe I'll add on HBO while I cancel the other two. But every time we roll up on a holiday, my wife goes like in a full binge mode for whatever holiday movies. So she actually probably watches movies, you know, three months out of the year or something like that, straight. And when Halloween comes, she starts walking, watching all the spooky movies. But this year, there's been so many good, like, um, those spookies movies that or shows that we haven't even had to go to a bunch of movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, with between HBO and uh, Hulu and some on Netflix. I don't know if I've had anything on Netflix that was really. Yeah, it's been I think Stranger ones. Things is Netflix's best, like, scary one for me. Spooky one? Yeah. Is it? I think that's more like suspense than scary, right? I'm scared of it. <laughs> yeah. You haven't finished it. I couldn't. I, I, I could probably go back now. I think I could go back now. Man, it's, it's like it's too too much. Too real. Grew up like in, in that, that era. era yes, so. it's too real. Like at least I was doing fine, and then there was the in a rural town, rural town ranch house. <laughs> yeah, rural town with a, with a bunch of like, um, what is it? What's that called? When people are afraid of. Uh, Communists. Um, <laughs> He's right. I'm not going to say anything. What, like I didn't red Scare? Or? Yeah, Red Scare, but there's another like name. Xenophobic? No, like the, it's kind of like that, but there's another name, a term for um, someone who was a political person who was anti-communism and created this Red Scare, but they, they call it, anyway. Colin King. Oh, right? like McCarthy? Yeah, McCarthyism. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> They got with his book? Yep. Boom. Yeah. So we got the McCarthyism in the in the ranch house with the like olive drab shag carpet, and then they start doing the whole thing with the wall. Like, nope, 
the paint and the wall yep. was pretty rough. Nope. In the first season. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I was like, I can get this. I'm in this cool. Yay. Egos. I love Egos. And it's like, what in the wall? No. Egos <laughs> and powers? No. <laughs> nope. I'm out. I have walls. Can relate. <laughs> <laughs> so that's spooky. Um, we've got Lovecraft County, right? Country, yeah. Country. Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Um, also has some spooky moments, oh, yeah. but um, super interesting. And um, uh, and then we were watching Raised by Wolves, which is, which has some like spooky parts, I think, but it's very suspense and, and also yeah, science well, and fiction. It's, yeah, it's sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like, definitely horror suspense. Yeah, it's definitely. I haven't watched this. either. Of Maybe those. I really want to, but last I don't, episode like, you might get your okay your scares oh. Oh, <laughs> on Raised by Wolves. Yeah. Stop! Don't tell me no more spoiler alerts. Hey, is it, I think it, I haven't watched either shows, but I, I don't think I'm going out on a branch saying Raised by Wolves is definitely not appropriate for children. I don't right? think any of these are. None of these are. Lovecraft, I'm assuming, is not. But again, no, I, not at all. Okay. In my opinion, Jurassic so, Park is barely. Like dude, I still one. have first nightmares about T Rexes. So T-Rexes. I just had one the other dude, day. Dude, the whole point of Jurassic Park was that you're supposed to be afraid of the Velociraptors, not the T Rex. No, it's always the T Rex. Yeah, the T Rex is there because they need something big and animated, but it's obviously the Velociraptors that are the real enemy. Yep, in the kitchen. In the Never kitchen. had a bad dream about Velociraptors. What? The T Rex isn't even that scary. The eye thing, maybe, and the snout. You can see if you don't move and all that. Oh well, the other one was a parkour one, and I was very surprised that this T Rex was keeping up with me while I was parkouring. <gasps> Wait, very surprised. You had a dream about. I had a dream about uh, uh, monsters. The monsters chasing me from the uh, Halloween edition of Apex Legends. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. So those like. Oh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I did okay. You know, I'm pretty good at, like, descents, and I don't know what happened when I got to the bottom of the hill, but I felt pretty good about running from them through the forest. There's no fall damage in Apex, so... I didn't have fall damage in the dream. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was why I was able to get away. Yeah, it was the yeet, yeet down. Uh, the, yeah, that was really spooky. And actually, I got scared on Apex uh, a couple times, because... Did we play it with the uh-huh. new... So yeah. that so like you open the containers. Oh yeah. So you open the loot containers and like spider jumps out. And, like, ah, God. and then I got I got hit twice by one too, and they open one right next to it, and then the spider jumps out, and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it was so frustrating. So um, it's Halloween. What do you guys? Uh, do, we've been talking about costumes, um, but do we have? Do you guys have ideas? Do you have takes on your costume? Uh, I think I'm doing my hot dog one, and Lindsay's going to do. Uh, another condiment so i think she's on mustard right now mustard and <laughs> a hot dog <laughs> yeah. spicy mustard um wow that's a good one but we really wanted yeah, to do spicy. uh the have you guys seen eurovision on netflix uh-huh. we really wanted to do eurovision where i was uh, lars and she was uh, the female singer lady Oh, but the costume is just so extravagant. It's, yeah. it's hard to notice. Like, it's so big. So and like at, at some point you like you go so deep into the costume that you're you're doing cosplay now. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Which is fun. Which is yeah. Which, which is, is fun. which I is fun. It's just how... like that's that's a that's a part time yeah. job, right? Yeah, that's hard. That's like, serious. Yeah. Once you get into October, mm-hmm. so I don't have a costume. I I love Halloween. I think it's so much fun. Um. But it always sneaks up on me. Yeah, like yeah. I'm always doing That's something the first else, and then I'm like, "Oh crap!" It's like it's it's Halloween, and I haven't planned it. And then I'm like, "Oh, I'll start thinking about it." 
and then I start looking at like costumes. And I'm not going to build a costume because just that's not me. I'm not a craftsy kind of guy. Uh, and so then I look at costumes and I see how expensive they are. And then I just go back to playing video games and I forget about it again. But I always love Halloween. Like I love seeing everybody else dress up. Mm-hmm. I love like, so fun. I would love like decorating a house, and I'm certain mm-hmm. that like when I retire. That will be a thing. Like October will be just me decorating the house, and, like wearing costume all October. But I just ain't got the time for it right now. So yeah, I love it. It is. It's so cool because everybody dresses up and it feels very surreal. It's a lot. In some ways, it's it's our holiday here, which I think we should probably double down on maybe. But the nice. um, wait till the pandemic's over. Um, the Laura, that could be a theme. Yeah. Too soon. Too soon. A pandemic <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. Too soon. Yeah. We. For those listening that that maybe are just tuning in, we always have like a like a parkour Halloween event where we set up like challenges and stuff in the gym. So we have like mm. like funny, silly challenges, and then we have hard, like tricky ones. And then sometimes we do like a skill comp for the kids. So everybody comes in in their costumes and they run this like skill competition and they try these silly challenges. And then we just do like a jam afterwards. It's a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, now given the context of COVID. We're no, not uh, really we're not really. able to do such laissez-faire events like that. So that would be that's a cool one though. We do such a good theme for it mm-hmm. uh, next year. Next, next year, year after everybody's like vaccinated and we're all cured and like yeah. you know we did, it's no longer like a major scare. Yeah, we can uh, we can do a pandemic one. You said it was the first holiday. I've never heard it described that way before. Yeah, right. You got the three. So you got Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and I feel like I'm always triple prepared header, for yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas, header. but Halloween is always like. It's just the you know eight was it eight months ten months, yeah yeah yeah. It's July's holiday and it just runs right into well you, so. July yeah Fourth July, of July. July. I, I consider that one unless you're talking about like religious holidays well, I don't know Fourth July might be a religious holiday for some people <laughs> <laughs> not sure so uh, so costume I I wanted to do I think I'm gonna and I and I was uh, I've been I've been doing this continuously but I've been I had been doing um, Johnny from the. Um, from the Karate Kid series when that was cute. Like, I, there weren't many people doing it. I think I first did it in 2017, but it's like the only costume I have just sitting around the house. Um, so it's either that or redoing Power Rangers from last year. Oh, but I Amazon primed my my costume last year and then sent it back. Yeah. Wow. Is that immoral? Yeah, no, I remember you telling Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I remember because we had the Halloween party and, and Justin was drinking through the the, the mask oh, yeah, because the, the, the costume package said like can drink through yeah <laughs> like was, what dude, we were just you were just ahead of the times dude you had a mask on before you know masks were in yep that's right yeah I, remember, I think i still have a picture of that actually that's you drinking hilarious. through that mask yep it's true right, so, yeah next year we're gonna have to i think we have to build our own costumes i wanted to do the skeletons this year and have us all do the skeleton costumes from karate kid yeah where they had the had the Cobra Kai in the skeleton costumes, that would have been awesome. Uh, I looked them up online though, and they're really expensive. Obviously, yeah, if, it, if it's branded, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be pricey. Yeah. I feel like we just what we do is take uh, like one of the gangs from the Warriors. Mm. Um, what was that? That was an eighties film, right? I think so. Might even seventy. I don't know. It's an it's Warriors? an older film, but take like one of the gangs from there, like the baseball gang or something like that. And uh, that's an easy one because then you could just. Face paint and buy a couple of props. Yeah, You're done. That's a good one. I like I like Avatar theme too. Avatar that theme would be too bad. Like they're gonna be the last Airbender or the <laughs> the purple people on Planet Pandora. Oh, definitely not the, the blue people. Last Airbender. Oh yeah, they're yeah. blue. 
Last second rendering. And you're gonna, you're gonna be Appa, right? I would definitely do an Appa costume. Yeah. With just an extra set of limbs, like right here. For me. <laughs> <laughs> Justin the yeah, giant I'd air bison. That yeah, that would be pretty good. Uh, I'll, I'll look for it. So spookiest. We we're talking about spooky stuff. Spookiest. Spookiest story. You got a spooky story for training or exploring? So I've always, I've always tried to get myself in very spooky situations, mm. but they always ended up not being spooky once I'm done with it or even during it. So hmm. um, if you're from Fort Collins, there's uh, there's us, we have a haunted house called Strauss Cabin over like on Drake and Ziegler. Now it's an upper uh, middle income. There's something. I know. That was it. <laughs> but now that's haunted. Ah, sorry if you live in Bucking. Uh, or, or maybe it's further down. Was it? It's Strauss Cabin Road. And I'm pretty sure it's, uh, it's on that roundabout. You just keep going straight. And uh, that was always a like a, like a little legend around, uh, the high schools that you had to go in there and so on senior year we went in there uh and it's this it's a tiny little cabin it's got this super big big dead tree that you know someone was killed himself hung himself in and it's all chained up so there's just a single like nine foot tall fence around the whole thing when we went and so uh, we got our high school group together and went exploring in there but of course you go in there and you're i you don't know what you're hoping for yeah <laughs> you just you just i guess just to be in there of course you go in there and there's like pentagrams all over the place and like someone's left like a little like uh skull like a little cat skull or something it probably fake or 3d printed or something mm, mm. <laughs> but yeah they have 3d printers back then i don't know I don't maybe Maybe it was real. <laughs> don't want to. You don't want to mess with any spirits in there. But I don't know. I'm always going in there, and then I get in there, and it just makes me laugh that there are people who go into these places and do pentagrams and spend their time. Like I feel like they're setting it up for us so that we can have yeah, a, a fun stage yeah, time, right? Because yeah, right. that's what I would do. I'd I'd like climb to the top of like some like abandoned building and leave a message there, and I wouldn't do a spooky one, but. Oh, and that also reminds me of Loveland and the sugar, the sugar cane factory. factory. Yeah. Yes. And what was the message? It was so, there's a part where sugar beet, yeah. The sugar beet factory. The abandoned sugar. This is some Scooby Dooby Doo stuff. The abandoned sugar beet factory next to the old gym, night mission. Yep. To the factory. Yeah, it's like it's locked down now. They got like like a legit fence that like opens and they have like yeah like motion lights. Before mm. it was like. It was like a janky old like chain <laughs> link fence that wasn't even closed. It was oh. like like it had a chain on it, but the chain was like four feet wide, so you could literally just like walk through it. Oof. So the sugar cane yeah, factory. And, that one, and then there was some sort of thing in there. That one, yeah. So so, yeah, so there there's Colorado Jeffy. used to do a bunch of like sugar like sugar factories from beets. But apparently as a, in the process of making that, it's highly flammable. Ooh. And what had happened is the Loveland one caught on fire and had a big fire. I'm not sure if anybody died, but you can look it up. And when that happened, there was another one in Longmont that was either run by the same company, but they also did um, like the same sugar from beets and they shut down. So we actually have two of those sugar beet factories that are shut down. Uh, They're both very cool. The Loveland one was just more like accessible. Exploded. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, like concrete walls blown out it looked like it looked like an explosion i'm not sure how much of it was the actual fire and explosion or how much demo. of it was just like decay yeah no it was never demoed because mm. 
whoever expensive. owns a lot just bounced off to whatever you know I'm Bali or something like that and was just mm-hmm. enjoying his dangerous freedom. to demo it at this point because there's yeah. floors that you can't get to that have the stairs just if you can see like four floors down mm-hmm. yeah mm. and so you go in there and there's like <laughs> and there's even a basement and you're like writing messages i remember when we would yeah. when we'd go in there like with our like group after classes late at night we'd go in there and you'd see like like a hole in the ground that goes to the basement where the stairs like used to be and crumbled and it would just be like down here with an arrow and you'd be like, <laughs> hmm okay and so you crawl down there you know and, and jump down there and then you find like a room that has like a little mattress and has like messages all on the wall yeah, and stuff like that like, like hmm. death to enter here or something like that it was like it didn't even make sense the way that it was written so it's like just probably some guy who's like i need to write something scary so someone wakes me up yeah it's, it was definitely just <laughs> it was like uh, Rabid wolves down here. <laughs> wolves aren't even here, buddy. I was told there would be wolves. Yeah. There aren't. Can I get my money back? But it was in the, they had like a sky bridge between the towers. That was super yeah, cool. Yeah, a little conveyor belt or something to transfer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so like you'd refine and then it passed down to this other chute or whatever. And so you'd go up through the chute and like walk up there and you could look out and like the walls, you know, it's, it's made out of like sheet metal and, you know, steel. But the sheet metal is like falling off, mm. so you're like walking up the conveyor belt, and you can just see out, and you're up like yep. sixty feet, just looking down. No like railing, nothing, because you know people weren't necessarily meant to walk up the conveyor belt. No. But, ah, that is so cool. That's pretty spooky. Did uh, um, is that so parkour helps or hurts? <laughs> uh, helps once you're in there, but hurts in that you want to go there in the first place. Right. I right? know. Yeah. Like it, parkour is definitely born out of like exploration and wanting to find these kinds of places anyways, to being like, Oh, yep. there's a level, there's a floor that has no stairwell because it's fallen out and it looks scary. And I want to know what's on that floor. It's like, literally a level that you can only reach with skill, like in a video yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, then you get up there and you go, yeah, I, do, I, I would want, like my daughter to have the skills to be able to handle that, but I definitely wouldn't want her in that sugar factory. So it's, it's the weirdest, like, opposed the dichotomy is yeah. there. Like, yeah, I want you I, to be uh, capable, but just don't went want to you a to little haunted corn maze, and they had like this little setup, and it was you rode around in a tractor with paintball guns and you shot zombies in this obstacle course. What? <laughs> this poor worker. Like, what wow, was this? This is what normal people do to get scared. This sounds way easier and more fun. Like, I get to shoot. Just random people in the zone. Are they actually over... like people running around? Yeah. Oh, that's Wait, fantastic. Yeah. I can drive around <laughs> with a paintball gun and shoot people and not like go to Iowa jail. Again, this is <laughs> Iowa over again, right? This is the long one. This is the, one of the first, like one of the largest corn mazes I've ever seen. You know How much was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't check on it, but I, because I just got there for the maze and the haunted house part of it. But I was like, wow. That's, uh, that's, that's it's a, a good social time. distancing thing, too. Yeah. Stay back. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, okay, spooky stories. I bought a house in Iowa that was built in 1917. Nice. And it had an attic that, with a door, right? And stairs up to it. So it wasn't even like crawled up with a ladder, right? It was like, just on the second floor, there's like a horse, horseshoe shape. And in the middle of it is a door at the middle of the horseshoe. And it goes up in a uh, spiral stairs to the attic. Um, and so I remember going up there when I first got it and we were exploring the house, you know, I just closed on it or whatever. It was a little, needed a little bit of work by a little, I mean a lot. It had the, um, boiler room in the basement. So it wasn't even like, there's no, like, 
air, so it was definitely like in the middle of the night, you'd get that clank, 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 boom. And then like those noises. So they're like, oh, we gotta check it out. And so we didn't have power one day. Me and a buddy decided, well, since this is really spookies, you know, there is no power, we should explore the attic because the power's out, right? That's totally a horror movie thing to do. And so we climb up into the attic there's also just stories about this place. The neighbor who lived there, the neighbor said he knew the owner who was several years prior, like in the 70s, and said he used to have like, he used to do a bunch of meditation and stuff. And one time he saw him levitating in the house. I do not believe this place. <laughs> Sweet. And I know, I was like, all right, worth it. Worth <laughs> Where are these like one time I go over and I saw the levitation other. energy here. He said he used to have dragons painted all over the house, like on the inside. And I'm like, there were all the while, all the walls were white. Everybody, somebody came by and just spray painted everything white. Over the dragons. Over the dragons. I was no. so upset. Dude, they're probably that. like those trog door dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just in his bedroom. <laughs> you know, uh, so apparently they were good dragons, not trog door dragons. Um, I don't know if they were like, malevolent dragons but i mean the art was apparently really good hmm. and so uh yeah so i we went up into the attic and it's you know it's unfinished it's feels about four stories high because it's a very tall house and there uh were these um bay, these windows these bay windows that look out over the neighborhood you know it's like something you'd see someone just like scratching on on the outside or something like that and above the window was like we, we found that there was a loose board Right, so you're looking out the window, and the, there's a loose board there, and we push it up, and it opens. You know, cold draft comes through, and then you're like, you shine your light, a little flashlight up there, and you're like, what the heck is kept up there? And so my friend uh, kind of sticks his hand up there to feel oh, around, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he like feels something like cold and metal, so he like kind of grabs it and pulls it down, and it was uh, shell casings. Like bullet shell casing. Okay. Just the casing? The casing. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck is up like bullet shell casings? Yeah. So it's about uh, two foot by two foot. So you can kind of stick your head up and look on the inside. And so the only way to do that was to grab it, step up on a little step stool, and then like peer as like someone like holds you up because it wasn't, <laughs> we didn't have like any height. So one person's holding the other person up and you're like peering up over the top and the light gets over and it just shines right against a skull. Oh my god. And we were like, ah, pull me down, pull me down. <laughs> and then we ran and we just like left it alone. And then we were like, there's no way. You left it alone? You just continued to live in the house? No, we came back in daylight. I like not dealing with that stuff at night. <laughs> so you just went to bed? It was totally a after yeah, opening the sarcophagus. After opening the sarcophagus, it was totally one of those traps like you're talking about, where yeah. somebody left it. We went back there the the next day in the daylight, and it was it was a plastic skull, but it was positioned right to like scare the yeah, crap out of you. It might it must have been there for you know thirty years or twenty years or something like that. And there were some other like um, odd spooky things up in there with it. Yeah, some bullet casings and some some rounds that were un unused and. Just kind of like this implication but it was definitely a plastic skull it was not a real human skull that's, that's why I like I, i'm so happy we have cell phones now because you just turn your camera on with a flash and you just <laughs> oh dude and then you watch the video worse, and like, you're just yeah. like oh yep it's clear you're like, oh because <laughs> you record so like yeah. first do the swipe and then go down into like 
warm lighting and then be like, now we're going to watch the video. And you just watch the video and you're like, oh, nope, that's a ghost. Nope. Come out. Yep. <laughs> then you just leave. Dude, if you were supposed to poking your head up. That would have been so fun with the cell phone thing because you would have come downstairs with your friends and be like, all right, who wants to look at it? I'm not looking at it. Dude, there's a skull on it. Like, no, you're making that up. You can share that. In the future. Experience. Right. With other people secondhand. Right. Oh, man. Cell phone scaries. That's why now when you explore buildings, you you bring your phone with you. The cell phone scaries. This uh, reminds me of the ghost that we had uh, in Loveland. That yeah, still the, the purple the, man. The, the purple man. Yeah, he opened no, my oh, front no, door during our meeting. Here, when we'd be yeah, in uh, purple man. Yeah, does he follow from location to location? Dude, it's always been purple man. But uh, where we, does his name? We. <laughs> oh, that's so, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that one, but I, I, I'm skipping timelines here. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Because <laughs> in premiere, we would always hear someone lifting weights and dropping them in their crossfit side and when we were working out in the gymnastic side, and we yeah. always and it would be late, like eleven, and we always hear weights dropped. And then we go over there. We always assumed it was uh, the main coach over there working out. And then one time we were just like, who is lifting weights right now? And we went over there. Yeah, it'd be like, like shut off. It'd be later. It'd be like, and it happened like on the regular. Yeah, really? And we'd go over there and we'd be like, okay, it's 1 a.m. Who's like working out right now? Oh my gosh. And it'd just be empty. Because that's crossfitters, bro. They'll <laughs> die and still come back and work out. <laughs> yeah. Pull in there like gotta get my two a days. The only way to get two workouts in is to work first one at midnight and the second one at. <laughs> but if I died, I could work out twice as much. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. No, we we had that ghost, and then we moved to the to the first Loveland gym, and then we got the. Then we then we found the name for our ghost was the Purple Man. So yeah. what? Where does the origin? What's the origin story? So we had, what was that lady above us? So we had that. She was like really? a like a crystal therapist. Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, that's right. Like, some, like a spiritual therapist. Yeah. And so I yeah, Chris, not crystal therapist. I I only chatted with her. She's I think that seems, she was very nice. But uh, yeah, she was definitely into like. It seems like pretty therapy. pretty direct. Like if you're a doctor, you're a doctor of crystals. <laughs> <laughs> you're a crystal so, doctor. Crystal doctor. But, All right, so exactly. So we got. She had the office right above ours. So she yeah. had windows, right, that looked into ours. No, no, no she didn't have any windows. The, okay. It was she sealed off the wall. The it wall. used to be able to, I think you could look over and into our unit, yeah. but they put like. They used to be all Yeah, they boarded over. Yeah. That's what it was. Um, and so and so she, again, the, so. We're oh, this is Justin's story. Actually. Oh, yeah. Um, so in that first location, we didn't have a bathroom in our warehouse, our little shop. Dude, that was uh, we, low spookies. We either had to go in the back of the shop, which is like an alley inside of the building, and it was like fluorescent bulbs, concrete floor, concrete walls, and you'd walk down this super dark hallway to get to a bathroom. The other one, which that one was the scariest, the other one was upstairs through our through uh, our, lobby. Our, our lobby door, and then you went upstairs, and there was a bunch of offices up there, but they were just as spooky, I felt like, because the stairs creaked, the building Yeah, rolled. and it's like everybody rented out like a room. Yeah, like er, there were other people subleasing like those rooms, and the doors were always closed. And then there was just like <laughs> yeah, one was... white noise machine that was just like, <laughs> and oh. so you walk up there and you're just like, like there's like thirty doors around you, and yeah. you just like go yeah. walk through. And it took us six months to figure out that the thumping on the wall was that someone had an archery studio behind us. Oh that yeah, we didn't yeah, even yeah, know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be like, they'd be like, doom, doom, and I'm like, <laughs> what? is i just let and it, it was go so it was so like faint yeah yeah it would be like after like customers left and we were closing up years you'd be like you also don't know that you're sitting there training and it's just some hopefully really good drywall that's stopping the arrow from coming <laughs> they get ready to do that lache and you lean forward and you just drop 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also the same building where our landlord fell through our roof. So yeah, like, yeah. Right? I remember that too. This was quite the janky building. Yeah. Yes, was, that was an interesting building. But yeah, so dude, yeah. startup line. So Purple Man was was the name given to our ghost by one of our, um, our spiritual therapist's neighbor's yeah. patient. Because I what? I chose not to go to the scary bathroom. I go to the, <laughs> the less scary, scary lobby bathroom, and I'm walking <laughs> there, and one of the there's a Almost couple. They're older. Um, and as I'm walking up, the lady stops when she sees me, turns to the corner and looks up at the ceiling and lifts her hands like she's praising something. And she says, the purple man's here. <laughs> and the husband is uh, standing right next to He's looking at me and he's like, come on, come on, come on. And she's like, she's like stuck on this wall with her hands up in the air. And she's just, oh, purple man. She's never heard this? No, I didn't hear this. And I have to walk by it and I'm like, oh, we need to get out of this building, man. Because if you go to the other bathroom, uh, the other coaches would shut off all the lights in the gym. Because <laughs> you get the switch. Turn on Michael Myers music, and then you'd come back into the gym, and it'd be pitch black with the Halloween it music playing. It was a, like that was a it was a, a ritual. If somebody yep. went to that back bathroom, I do. You were like, that. oh guys, 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 drop it, drop someone to the back bathroom. So we'd all sprint, click off the light, go to the stereo. You plug in the music, you turn it on, and then you, you Justin would do this all the time. He'd open the door and he'd be like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> because then what would happen is there's just a little bit light coming through the front door, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was a glass front door. So you have just one shaft of light. And so we'd always have like somebody crawl like QM across. Yes. And the goal was they always had to get to the lights at the long, front of the yeah. unit without somebody hitting you. With some <laughs> it's mat. like parkour people are the best at being like spooky. Like we Scary, would be really yeah. good at, at like, it's just a lot of work, but at uh, um, like a haunted house or something like that can, can crawl on the ceiling. Yeah, yep. can do all that stuff. It's so creepy. I forgot about the like the turning off the lights. Yeah, and that was like every time somebody yep. went back there. Yeah, right. And so now even here we joke about the Purple Man's getting an upgrade in the new gym. That's a yeah. So Purple Man's Purple Man's been he's followed us here too. Sometimes later now you'll hear. Yeah, you hear the little skimpers, uh, but not but the ghost of Crossfitters Pass. Yeah, this Purple Man. Yeah, Purple Man <laughs> must be yoked. <laughs> By now, he's been training a long time. Yeah. Seven years. Uh, purple Man. Yeah, the other one uh, that I'll, I'll end on before we go into the training topic is the... Uh, and you can go to this place. This is in Pingree Park. Um, we had a friend. So Pingree Park is in the mountains. So in the mountains... This is great. This is a great Halloween story. <laughs> they shut down campus for CSU, which Colorado State University has a campus... 14 miles into the mountains in something that's called the Mummy Range. That's like their, their mountain campus, right? It's a mountain yeah. campus, but it doesn't operate during the winter because there's too much snow. So you drive up and then sometimes people volunteer to stay there to make sure no one's on site Ugh. and they have to snowshoe in. So we, no. my, my friend did that. So we went with, we were like, oh, we want to go and stay. Candy and I did this. And so we go up mm-hmm. with our with our buddy and we park and then, we, we trek into the campus and they make sure that like nothing's going on. Like there's no whatever. You do take guns just because, I don't know, we could. We're pretty far out there. There's no guns on campus though, I don't think. So maybe we didn't take guns. Anyway, Different we didn't take guns <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm saying. And and then so you get you get there and there's like just a bunch of like there's not heat and stuff. So it's like one room has heat and there's no like running water. So you have to go to the little creek. Well, the creek's like one of those creeks that you would imagine like a bear just like living in, right? They're kind of down in the, in the shallow. 
glen and then you like walk up to it and you start pumping your water and you're just <laughs> and then you just hear like the squeak and then you hear rustling in the bushes and you're like oh my gosh like I'm <laughs> in the middle of nowhere here and and then you bring the water back um and then we decided to go out on a trek at um that night because there's a it's called pingree park because it was a it was homesteaded and there was a cabin out in the middle of it that were the original homesteaders cabin mm-hmm. and that cabin um, was occupied by the family and the fam- a family had um, two twins. Well, there was a, a disease that went through um, and it killed uh, the two twins. But because the ground was frozen, they couldn't bury the twins. And oh, probably dude, because just like sag, sag, I can't remember what it was, if it was cholera or something like that, or you could look it up on Wikipedia. They have a picture of the, of the family. Very, as much, it looks about like what you'd expect it to look like. <laughs> and so they they kept the frozen bodies in the room during the winter because they couldn't bury it. And also there's probably some psychological issues going on too. When you lose your twins in the middle of the mountains in the mummy range. And then you keep their frozen bodies in the next room. Yes. So we decided we were going to go and check this place out. No. Yes. <laughs> so we go in and you can, you can kind of like, you could get in permissibly ish and, we did that. We opened up. We didn't know that they kept the place completely like burnished as if, right? Because people can go and still visit that cabin. And we didn't know that. So the minute you go in, it's still got all like the old era things. And you step in and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is untouched. I'm going to see these people in here. <laughs> and so it was super spooky because you're in the mountains, in the middle of the night, in the cold, in the mummy range, very far from people, 14 miles. And it's just you and some people you might trust. And so we came in and they have all the pictures. Like all we had was like uh, the back of flashlight, LED lights things. They had all the pictures of the family and they had the room that was the bedroom. And then they had the, uh, um, the spookiest thing was this giant um, taxidermy bobcat. So you're just walking in, you come around the corner and you get one of those like, you know, teeth open, like mouth, like bobcats right in your face, come around the corner. I about lost it from that. That was the, that was the spookiest thing for, for that little trek. But yeah, so watch out for, you know, hunted cabins in the mountains. Of Colorado. You, know the, you know, the like campus students were like, yeah, we're going to put this bobcat in here. Yeah. Right at eye level. <laughs> it was straight up and you have to you come right around a corner into it. So anybody coming in, just gets hit by the bobcat. Bobcat. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I love it. All right, that's a pretty spooky story. So you guys all Halloweened up now. You ready to go? Like, have a good time. We get rid of snow, which makes no sense for Halloween. It always it's always snow on Halloween, Halloween. What? which yeah. is awful for the children. Though, like, <laughs> it's awful. Wait till Halloween. It's truly unfortunate. Oh yeah, yeah. But that's why you dress up as like you know Chewbacca or something. Yeah. Yep. Then you're nice and warm. So we're gonna bleed into fear. You like that segue? Yeah, I like that. This stuff just comes, man. When you become a dad, you just like <laughs> those dad jokes. Just, I have to consider my dad jokes pretty solid. So, yeah. uh, Can ask no about that. <laughs> right, exactly. The uh, fear. So that's the training topic today, and so we're gonna talk about how we how we deal with fear. Um, what is fear for us? And obviously when we're training, we run into scenarios where we're afraid. This is parkour. I mean, some people will talk about even just doing CrossFit and being afraid to jump on the box. Well, we take that and scale it up hundred times over, right? So fear is a major component in parkour training. 
in that it's sort of a J runs adjacent to competence. And a lot of people will do parkour to gain confidence mm-hmm. or do parkour because they're um, unreasonably confident. <laughs> yeah. So fear and I definitely, I've definitely met some like parkour athletes that I'm like, whatever part of your like amygdala that <laughs> handles fear doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not there. They're mm-hmm. just like, there's at like, best wow, reason. Like, people were like shooting at you and there was like, there was a, like a rabid dog down there and like you were landing on a janky old building and you were just like, oh yeah, I got it. And then that's, that's like some confidence, right? There's a difference between like somebody who's like, I think I got this. I'm going to, I'm just going to like, I'm going to dedicate to it. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And people who are just like, hi <laughs> <laughs> I definitely met a couple of people that are just. So where does confidence become disillusionment, right? I, that's a good question. Or where does it become courage? I think you have confidence. Yeah, I guess courage versus like um, recklessness. Well, I think the difference between courage and confidence might be. um, Courage uh, is doing it in in spite of being afraid of it. Yes, application too, right? Like the context. Context is what I'm looking for. So. So. Yeah, I, I I don't know where that line goes because it shifts for everybody, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's definitely a spectrum. Like I've seen people who I would have sworn have no fear uh, in parkour and who've done things, and I'm like, I can't even watch you do it because I feel like that's so terrifying. And I've watched people who have almost died doing like, things at that height, like the Oleg Cricket guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm mainly talking about uh, that the Boulder side crew. So Dylan, Brandon, you know, even some of the newer coaches right now um uh nick ortiz on instagram which is yeah nick nick ortiz, nick ortiz um, does some scary yeah. stuff so watching those guys but i know i always thought they didn't have fear but when i talked to dylan about it, it they are just very good at identifying the fear the second it shows up and then immediately deciding what to do with that um you know that state so they either choose to fight it or or flight right or or choose not to do the move and the decision is is solid and it's not hesitation, which is my biggest problem when I first started parkour was I just flip back and forth mm. between the two. Mm. Yes, I want to do the backflip. And then right before I do the backflip, I switch to flight and I'd be like, no, I don't want to do the backflip. <laughs> and then it gets so bad that I would just switch it in the middle of the backflip. And at the worst point, I'd say, no, I don't want to complete the backflip. So that was, that is, if, you, if you're like that, you, you, I feel like you, I never, really identified that I was afraid and made a choice on what I was going to do with the fear. Whereas Dylan would look at something, immediately know he wanted to do it and then start working on uh, um, getting the fear out of his mind, out of that memory. Because once you get fear in your head and you let it sit there, it just becomes this super solid memory and you just never forget it. Like fear is just such a strong, like addictive memory to have. And so you have to make a decision right away once you identify it. And which is nice because fear is very easy to identify. Your stomach immediately feels yep. gross, right? And so like, you know you're afraid. Um, so make a decision on it. And, and then Dylan would just be like, all right, what do I need to do? He collects data after that. So he identifies the fear. Then he would collect data. Can he do it? You know, he has he done a jump similar before? Is he, is he familiar with the takeoff and the landing and the materials? And does he feel confident that day? And so once he had those things, he just, it was, it immediately shut off. Decision once he made. identified and then collected the data on whether he could do it, it was there. He had, didn't have any fear after that, but it was a choice to make the fear 
and that memory of it, you know, you get to fight against it. So I think that's an appropriate level of confidence. Yep. And then courage may be more about in application, like the necessity of it and what yeah. it did to save uh, someone or yourself or, or to make a moment happen, right? In a competition or something like that. But I also remember his, you know, there was still mistakes. Like <laughs> um, he, I mean, the success ratio was obviously very high and optimal because he's, he's very much considered uh, parkour deity in some, in some ways, right? Um, the uh, one I'm thinking of is that garage Kong yeah. to cat yep. that he almost it killed out on. Yeah. His hand slips like out. Five he's, stories high, something like that. Yeah. yeah. There's a video out there. He's actually got, there's actually an entire video explaining the story and the build up to it. But yeah, this roof gap that almost went, you know, atrociously <laughs> wrong. Yeah. So there's that. But sometimes I'm afraid for people who have like, like they come in and they're just going to jump on a box and I'm afraid for them. Yeah. So there is yeah. this, there is this like experience that gets acquired over time that gets you comfortable and familiar with um, like tougher scenarios. And it's like, if you look at um, the difference between like, if you watch people come on some of these TV shows, like um, the tag shows or the obstacle course shows, and you look at people who you know have all this experience, the viewer will make the assumption that it's just about confidence and some sort of like, like dissidence with preparation, meaning like somebody is just strong enough they were a firefighter and so now they can do it like mm -hmm. that's different than the skill that comes in a parkour when you watch somebody who's done parkour before you know that they have some they have a good relationship with fear especially if they're at like the you know well-known team level like dylan with, mm -hmm. with merm or store or any of like those people who produce content where you can where you can bear witness to um the, the craziness that they're exposed to sometimes you know there's a lot of repetition in there but there is something that there is, they are disregarding some reason at some level. They say when they go to do it, it's no different than, you know, walking across the street or something like that. But we can understand that there is an, an assumed risk there. So there's a couple approaches that um, I've seen taken. And one is like, you can, in this measurement aspect, because we did Dylan's um, fear workshop. Remember that? Mm -hmm. We went to it. I can't remember if you went to it or not. Maybe he did not. No. Um, no, so. Um, so this is not in that particular scenario, but. Um, the, the tools that I've seen come out of other trainings is like risk versus, um, uh, success, right? No risk, risk versus uh, danger, danger, risk of your risk and danger continuum. And so you're sort of looking at like, well, this is a jump that I'm capable of, but now I'm raising the context because height comes into play. And now all of a sudden it's got danger because it's, I find it, um, a bit well, risk, risk. So risk is the likelihood that you'll fail. And danger of the consequences. The consequences, right? So right. it's, it's uh, success versus an X and price. Y graph, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, where where the the risk of your you know failure may be look super low, but the consequence of your failure is you die. Right. In which case, that's just as scary as like well, maybe not just as scary, but that you know the the risk that you succeed is very very low, and the consequence is pretty minimal. Then those are right. Yes. That's your graph. Is and so using this graph, we can expose the novice parkour athlete's um, logical fallacy, which is if I can jump four feet, I can jump four feet at any height. Yeah. Which oftentimes I see people beating themselves up about and getting frustrated with where they're like, look, I on the ground, I can do it. I can jump from here to there. To, to Dylan or higher level athletes, that's just data. 
if they go down and look at the gap at the street and they jump from one curb to the other and know that the alley is something they can physically, because they've measured it, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I know I can physically reach that. That's different than a new person being like, see, you can jump between here and there. So surely we can take this up higher, even like four, six feet was, or four, six stories. What was that coaching crime? You got it. What was, that? Uh, was it the YOLO? Or Huckett Harry. Huckett Harry. Maybe Huckett Harry. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think YOLO coach would be like, yeah, we're doing it. Like, you can jump four feet. I know you can jump four feet now. We know you can jump four stories at four feet. Yep. Totally Let's YOLO coach. Let's that's do it. YOLO coach. You're right. And there's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. Huckett Harry doesn't know he can make it yet. <laughs> <laughs> sure does. He's getting his data in the field. <laughs> so to think that you can just measure a jump and then take it in any context is really where the depth and skill of parkour is. That's the meat of it. You've got the bare minimum precursor to be like, I can jump four feet so I can jump four feet in any context. Like it's the context well, that and, makes it the and art. And just, I mean, theoretically you can, right? If you can jump four feet at minimal effort mm-hmm. on the ground, you can theoretically jump four feet in just about any context that's not, you know, making that jump itself physically harder, right? Like there's not like wind mm-hmm. pushing you back or you're not weighing extra or the surface isn't slick, right? Like if you were to take just the exact same thing and put it anywhere in the world at any height, theoretically, yes, you can, mm-hmm. but- You're not a robot. But yeah, you're, not a, ro- things, you're yeah. not a robot. And those okay. things, just, just the visual stimulus difference mm-hmm affects the way that mechanically you're going to perform that move sometimes and and that's where like high level parkour athletes really rise is that they're like no in spite of all of these other stimuluses that i'm getting i'm going to perform the move the same way that i always do with the same quality that i always do Mm -hmm. at you know safe nominal levels i think the movement in context is the depth of parkour ability because it's it's similar like you can sing in the shower but can you sing on stage? Right. Yeah. But you sung in the shower. You remembered you, the, the lyrics were very simple and you sounded very beautiful to yourself. Now sing on stage. Well, theoretically, yeah. you knew the lyrics and you sung, but could you actually sing? You know, the, the, yep. the only yeah. thing that's changing is the context, but that's where we see where we see the on it. So there's some ways to build that that I think is healthy. And I think the, the biggest thing is repetition. Like repetition. And slow. Slow <laughs> repetition. Have as many wins as you can in a given um, at a given distance, and then changing that context up, but winning continuously is a very big is a very big deal. Yeah, if you never have a if you always build up slowly and you ever have a failure halfway up to your transition to a move, you can always go just a step back down where you're confident. So if you have those little progressions and you're having all these little tiny wins in between the big one that you're searching for then there's not too much risk if you mess up on one of them it's a lot like your like plateau uh theory that we were talking about when it comes to like maintaining a high level of skill right like if you have all of these successes that you've worked on up to this point and then you fail at this point if you skip to that peak of the mountain and then you fell you fall all the way. Back and down. why? Because Even that's how further. trauma works. <laughs> yes. Trauma's like, we're sending you back to square one or as far back as we can because your brain's like survival, mm-hmm. right? Yep. We failed, it hurt, we didn't like it, let's survive. But if you have all of these little levels, these little plateaus, mm-hmm. like you said, that you've worked up to, that you've had successes to, 
when you fall, your brain's like, we'll go to the next level. Mm-hmm. If that next level is very close to where you currently were operating, then you don't fall very far, right? But we see it all the time when we teach adults and children back tucks, right? Mm-hmm. Like they go through the entire workshop and finally we're going for the like attempts, right? And you have to be very cautious as a coach of being like, okay, guys, we're going to go for full attempts because like half the group will just, yeet, right there on the spot. And like, Wait, <laughs> yeah. no, I meant over here. Now? Now? You said it. And oh. so then they go for it. And then, you know, if they bail on that, it's done. That like Right, because they usually, they usually can survive that and not have a major injury, but the psychological impact of falling out of a backflip is very, very taxing. Yeah. If for yeah, for somebody who's not used to it, right? Like now, I, I, all three of us could go down on the yeah. on the floor and you know bail as many backflips as we want, and it then wouldn't break perform a perfect one yeah. right after because one we've just had so much experience with it already that that well of successes is much deeper than our well of failures. But yeah, so you you have to to do small, tiny, micro progressions that you know you're going to be successful on a bunch of times before you get up to these big like roof gaps. So major thing yeah. is- Or box jumps. <laughs> or box jump. Yeah, yeah, because it's different for everybody, right? Like yeah. for a, a toddler, like I, I remember in Estes, when like way back when we were kids, I have no clue how old I am. There's this little like cobblestone wall. Yeah, I And it goes up maybe like six feet. Right? Yeah. Some not, of them do go high. Some of them go high, but I, I remember the spot. This one was six Because I've yeah. driven by it before and I was like, why does that wall look so familiar? Is and it a retaining I, wall of sorts? Yeah, it's like yeah. a little retaining wall that builds up. But I remember it like it starts very low and it builds up as the hill goes down. Okay. Right. And I remember as a kid, we were there with, you know, like mom and dad and I was walking up the wall and I get to a height where I'm like, oh my God, I'm scared now. And the family's like, like, well, my dad's actually probably like head level <laughs> with me. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. he's a tall guy and I'm little. And so I'm standing there and he's like, jump. And I'm, I remember being so afraid to jump. And my dad's like, I jump, right? (laughs) And like he, it, it, he was like, so nonplussed by the fact that like, I'm scared of this jump. And in my little head, I'm like, this is, this is insane. (laughs) Jumping through the world. (laughs) Just jump. I mean, eventually I did jump, but I went back then as an adult and I see the wall and I'm like, it's four feet. Right. But in my perspective at that age and my experience at that age was so minimal that that's incredibly taxing, right? And that's gonna be different for everybody. You could be a 20 year old male who, you know, is used to like skydiving, but then you come in a parkour gym and jumping from one rail to another rail at two feet high is absolutely terrifying for you. Yeah, or you and it could probably be should a, be. It requires a lot of calibration. <laughs> or you could be a seven year old woman who's like, you know, never done anything in her life. And, you know, doing a giant on a bar for the first time is like not that scary for you. And it should be. Yeah, right? You don't know where that, that calibration is. So, so let's talk about a couple of uh, key things, right? So calibration, mean, calibration to me means that there's enough volume in, in, in that moment that you have an understanding of the context of where you are. Meaning there's a reason that if possible, sometimes parkour athletes will go and feel out surfaces. Like mm-hmm. there, I remember early on, just because you can see something doesn't mean you can do it. So if you see something and you see yourself doing it, it doesn't always mean you can do it. What I mean by that is there's just some data that gets to the body by touching things. 
There's like mm -hmm. different layers yeah. of the brain that are working here. And if I reach out and I touch something with my foot, I've just given another sensory input to my brain. Like Justin, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, Justin over here, he always touches the microphone. And... I haven't touched with this once this time, right? <laughs> I think it was the scrubbing your shoe next to the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rubbing your shoe right. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry, yeah. So, so touching surfaces. Right. So that's why, you know, not relying exclusively on the the visual elements of the vestibular system, but going and like touching and familiarizing yourself with reach and, and feeling, that's that gives you context. Spending time in that space, not under pressure, also gives you context. So yep. as much time as you can spend, like sort of in the area, familiarizing yourself with it, feeling feeling more friendly in relationship to it, versus just showing up and hitting stuff, you can do that. But those first attempt, true attempt, you know, breaking the jump moments are again higher level skill. That's the culmination of a lot of volume into a very very astute intuition and type of intelligence in parkour. For most of us, we need to get in and touch surfaces and lean up against them and kick them a little bit and push them and feel what the top looks like, hop around a little bit on them in order to really learn. And so I guess what I, for, for calibration, I would say doing, um, you know, these primers or these timers um, movements beforehand um, before doing jumps is actually a really, a really good thing. And a lot of times when you guys watch videos online um you see all the successes but you don't see maybe the 10 attempts although or it's become more yep. trendy to share your 20 Raw near footage. death fails before you got the stick right like but you know at first glance you just assume you can do it um making sure you're strong so that's one thing there with could you guys say anything more about calibration like what do you guys do to calibrate i would actually i mean i i hate timers so uh, what's a I timer? Think, I don't. I think that yeah. that um, that term. I'm not super happy with timer. I prefer primer. But by stuff like we use timer in parkour is pretty consistently. Why do so you, it's why like, you like if it? if you're looking to jump a gap, um, and you can reasonably jump the gap and fail, or like intentionally do the jump, but not with the intention of like landing it, but just with the intention of figuring out like what's my eighty percent effort to get like, like where does 80 percent effort get me yeah to a bounce back or just like Categorized just distance like wise right um those are those, those things are pretty common you'll see people like do a running jump and they'll just jump like halfway and land i don't i don't like them i think you're giving yourself false data mm -hmm. um i think timers can be done successfully but i think the majority of the time they're done incorrectly because then you're just wiring a pattern that's that's not a success. When you go for a timer, if you do one and then you're like, cool, yep, I got it. I'm going to hit it now. That's that's a high-level athlete. That's somebody who who was missing a piece of data. They're like, I don't know quite, so I'm going to get a little data. Okay, cool. I got my data. I know I can get it. Mm -hmm. But the but what you see are new athletes, and they just timer and timer <laughs> and timer mm -hmm. and timer and timer and timer and timer and timer. And then 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, they're still freaking hitting timers. And they've just wired in their brain a timer yep. they've never wired the jump at all or and so now even if they go for it their brain's like oh yeah we've done this 40 times now so i know exactly what to do it's fail midway through the jump right and so i don't i don't think timers are a successful way for a new athlete to do it i think measure it look at it touch it feel it lick it smell it whatever you gotta <laughs> do to the jump to like get your data go somewhere else do the your practice, timers time, on yeah. a similar distance then come back and be like cool and if you need one more timer on that spot then you can do it to get your final data but then you need to go for it and if you're not going to go for it then you gotta like square up to yourself and be like 
I'm not ready for this and back off. It's not like concrete walls are just going to magically disappear next week or something like that. I mean, sometimes they do, but <laughs> rarely, right? You can always come back to it. So that would be my suggestion is it's like, if you're, you're calibrating, it's calibrate away from that spot. Now, if it's something at height, just climb on top of it and just stand there. If I'm, if I'm doing a workshop with, with, you know, teens or adults and we're doing balance at height, I always, before I even let them walk on the rail, I just have them stand on top of the tower. Yeah. And I have them do air squats on top of the tower. I have them like spin in a slow circle. I have them look up, I have them look down and then I have them get off the box. Yep. Right. And they're like, I, I'm ready to walk it. I'm like, nope, you're going to, you're just going to climb out there. You're going to stand, you're going to, you know, calibrate with that height mm-hmm. and then you're going to come back down. Right. Yeah, and then if I need them to, I'll have them do a success, a successful timer where they walk the rail at lower height and then go back up there. But I would never have them like walk up at height, go halfway to the bar and then just jump off. Like that's not a successful timer. No, it's not successful coaching. I like what you're saying too, because it reinforces the, um, when I, I did some golf lessons, um, about a long time ago. Right. And, uh, and I remember I'd come out and just like a batter or something. I'm just like kind of swinging at the dirt, just like oh, warming up here. And the, that particular coach was like, no, you don't make poor golf swings because you're reinforcing the habit of swinging like that. Yep. So when you come out to swing, you can do it with less intensity, but your intention should be to be successful in the swing. And I think that translates exactly to jumping what you're saying. We get far too used to failing in these attempts yep. and oh yeah uh and so I, I i think that the key to that is so what's the solution because obviously you can't just make every single jump a, a, a win or a loss and absorb the consequences of just falling out of a jump and a bail when just to determine how far you can make it on something that's where i think um the progressions and learning bounce backs and aborts as a skill yep. is important because if you make one like you should be able to look at something and I'm going to go out and say that you just, if it's that scary for you and you're assuming you're not disillusioned and just thinking you can hit that jump. Like I, we've been out training before and I remember random people on the street who are younger, just come up and attempt the jumps that we're doing. Cause remember that in like old town, we'd see people just like run up and just like do it. And you, and then they'd like, they'd look like they broke their ankles or something and they'd walk off and be like, cool, bro. Like we're not just, we're not just out here throwing ourselves at walls. So be able to do and train the bounce back or the abort of the of the technique and then you don't have to worry about a timer because your attempt is intentional you're yep. going for it and if you and if you bounce back that's one of the coolest parts about parkour is because we have that skill set yeah yeah being able to throw a a true attempt and safely and almost stylishly yeah like, always style. i missed it mm-hmm. always with style it is the uh it is the fact that when if you like a novice or a beginner will look at the objective of the jump and then it's binary. I have this very small, um, we'll call it, ooh, let's use bloom here. <laughs> like hate bloom. First bloom. You know that like bloom? Yeah, yeah. Right. Or we'll say the hitbox is really small, <laughs> right? It's very, you know what I'm saying? Like, just the, got some trauma right there. Right, exactly. So you've got the- hate you've shooters got, of bloom. <laughs> so you have, the, you have the little space where things can work out. And maybe that's only, you know, eight inches by a 10 inches. And that's where stuff can work out. As a parkour athlete and being really competent, that should bleed out into feet, into ideally everything surrounding the surface. 
so that if you come up short, you know how to hit and uh, um, to land on any of those surfaces. And if it's a flat wall, you just bounce back, right? Yep. That's where the true like wisdom comes from from the jump. So that's one way to alleviate the fear in that there isn't only, you know, 10 inches either way or a foot either way of success, right? Because that's the way people will look at it and be afraid, right? Why would you be afraid if you knew you could hit any of those surfaces? Yeah, and it, yeah, if you if you train, I don't want to say train bales as a skill, but I guess that's the way to, to phrase it easy. Yeah, if you train those, you you increase, I'm just summarizing what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you increase your margin for error or the, I guess not margin for error, you increase your window of error that you can successfully yeah. come out of. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so the amount of, it's like a handstand, right? Where like when you teach people a handstand, if you can get them right in a perfect shape and then let go, they'll stay there. But if you move them one degree off of that perfect shape, they fall, right? But if you train them in this whole range of motion of like how to successfully get into a handstand and come out of it, now their window for success, I've seen Justin do it where he'll go into a handstand and then his legs come all the way down here and he goes into like a tuck planche and then he's like, ah, nope, it's like back in my handstand, right? Because he has such a wide range, range. of, of uh, margin for error just seems like the best one, but margin for success maybe is a better term that he can pull from. He'll be like, oh, no, actually I can get it to there. And I think it's the same thing with, with challenges that you're afraid of. If you're like, well, I can't hit this precision, but I know I can crane it. Or if I can't crane it, I can cat leap it. If I can't cat mm-hmm. leap it, I can cat back from it or, you know, catapult. And if I miss it completely, um, I know I can land and roll or, you know, catch the wall, whatever, right? You have such a larger margin for success. And I, I deem success being you don't get injured. So I think how you practice that really matters because this is where it goes wrong with people who are like, it becomes just like martial arts where it's like, oh, well, I practiced, I practiced my parkour role, okay? And I'm, I'm just saying this is a general trend I see across parkour gyms and with parkour athletes where they're like, I have practiced my role, so I know how to roll out of anything. It's like yeah. the martial artist who's like, grab the wrist, break the wrist, <laughs> break right? The wrist. But those guys should really do. I mean, how much time are they spending grabbing wrists though? <laughs> like, just gra- that's what you should really be doing is is grabbing wrists if we really want to understand how to grab wrists and do it with intent, right? And so when we when we uh, when we bail and we practice our bails, the bails shouldn't, in my opinion, be these dramatic failures where we're sort of um, pontificating about how you might crash out of something. I think that's very hard to predict. Oh yeah, you're better off training things really strictly, like bounce backs, like your caterboards, like going monkey plant reverse monkey plant on bars, on boxes, understanding how to like catch stuff in a crane without at velocity, without hitting yourself, running and jumping off of walls that are vertical or at slant. Like that's where you're really gonna start to learn because you wanna do those safely instead of having this major gap in between where it's like you practice precision jumps and then you practice nasty kickballs off of rails and whatever. And there's this huge space between which is bringing like application into reality, right? Yeah. Everything else is just like, it kind of feels sometimes like it's a uh, like it's just fantasizing it's yeah it's uh it's like training boxing without ever having been hit in the face right right like what who which boxer is it that was like your training's all i'm paraphrasing but essentially your training is great and your plans are great 
until you get in the ring and somebody punches you in the mouth. In the mouth, and then everything goes out. And then everything goes out the window, right? right? And it's like, if you've never been punched in the face before, you're going to be an awful boxer. Because right. as soon as you get punched in the face, you're just like, ah, right. I didn't like that at all. And, and parkour can be very similar in that, like, if you train your, your falls and your rolls in a controlled, uh, you know, in vitro environment, like a gym, and then you go out in in vivo environment, right? You bail, it hurts. It's yeah. never like a whoo, that was smooth and buttery. Sometimes it is, in which case then it's like a golf clap. But for the most part, it's like, ow, that hurt a lot. And I'm happy that I didn't crack my skull or break a bone, right? And you can't practice that in a gym because if you are, you are intentionally damaging yourself. Yep. So yep. yeah, I agree with you. It's like, but if you train the specific skill that you might use out of the bail, as a skill rather than as this like ninja warrior this table seesaw table is going to flip me and then somebody's going to shove me and then another person's going to come out of the air and throw a ninja star at me like very <laughs> high so complicated so complicated that vis-a-vis yeah. vis drill 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 yes and get context get feeling i just want to use a v word because you got <laughs> twice that was impressive i want to triple kill <laughs> uh yeah that's i think uh and in terms of the like uh the bales where it's like oh i'm gonna spin around and uh, i feel like falling backwards is though is the worst one for parkour because you uh it's very hard once you're parallel in the air how, how you get out of the position it's not taught by a skill that you can you can drill so that's why i feel like you do need a little bit of the acrobatics and you need parallel I, twisting i was just gonna say trick and is yeah really good at that yeah and and forward and backwards uh you know, inversion. So front flips and back flips, because those ones you just can't train. Once your feet hit your shoulder height, so for swinging or for a bounce back where your feet are too high and your chest never made it past your hips, uh, from that point, once you're parallel, you need flips to uh, to really fully understand how to get out of that situation. Or a tail. Yeah. Or a tail. Or a tail. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the future of parkour, like um, at what's it called, at, at prosthetic, is not the legs; it's a tail. That would be sick. Be Don't get me started on that stuff. There's a robot I, tail. Is totally, excited, sorry. And I start thinking about all through carbon and I want right. to get a new sleeve. Just saying, that. like a robot tail is is probably very attainable. It work very well because it would. We're such vertical beings. Well, you just you just have the you just have to learn how to train it, right? So you'd have the the tail would do what it needed to do, and you just need to know how to ride the <laughs> I mean, tail. It's it's pretty feasible too, because it would just like We're strap there. here, and then it would go like you'd have like a casing that goes up along the spine, uh, and then straps yeah. up under here like a harness. <laughs> yeah, it just be that would really give it its stability to to manipulate along your spine. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Actually. I think it's a really cool idea. Oh man, we're back to Ooh, Nightcrawler, so who our, I really like. So our that. next startup is going to be a prosthetics company. <laughs> Prosthetic tails. Hey, we'll be going to beat you to it, Japan. Uh, the Japan's already some dude Japan's like, his tail right. in anger already. I have nine tails. <laughs> hey, careful though. Our market might turn into like furries. Yeah. Not yeah if that's how we got to fund our cool parkour tail. I'd, I'd fund that way. That's fine. Do we have some furries here? Don't it? Dude, they're everywhere. And yeah. hey, you know what? It makes you happy. It makes you happy. Right? But yeah, so there you go. The, the parkour tail. The, uh, that really sidetracks me. Woo! Hold on, derail. I gotta pick my bike up off the trail, climb back to the trail <laughs> now, fit my my little shoes in again, and get to a haul. Okay, so uh, that's so we talked about context, and then we talked about training um, for confidence, and I think that's volume drilling, drilling with uh, with volume. Uh, the other thing is that the other side of fear is um, 
is is trust, right? I feel like over time we can alleviate, we can gain, we can gain trust in ourselves by doing things again and again and not experiencing getting beat up about it, right? So you just have to take it down to what that. Um, and then if you do a bail out of a backflip or bail off of a lache, that might mean that you're going back and you're just going to hit, you know, 20 laches at the most basic level mm-hmm. and bounce back and do that until your body, because uh, your body has to begin to trust your um, intentions again. And your body is definitely there to stop you sometimes. Yep. Like Are you talking post bail here? Yeah, post bail. Yeah, like I, I think post bail is the hardest form of fear to get because you've made the memory. It's solidified oh, and, it's uh, very fast. and you just don't forget fear this is not the way that we were evolved to handle. You were supposed to pass it on yep. generation to generation. You watch so, your friend die from the inside out from eating that one berry and you remember the color, shape and smell of that berry. <laughs> so, and that's why yes. I can't eat cilantro because I'm pretty sure oh, ancestors <laughs> were poisoned by something, some In kind of cilantro. soap plant. <laughs> and now the flavor similarity, yep. the chemical similarities of the plants just gets you. Yep. But yeah, yeah, you have to. Um, I don't like cilantro either. Oh, I just not as aggressive. Okay, oh, that's good. <laughs> I didn't know. I'll just eat it, and then I'm just like, if, oh, I have so to, if I'm you know, <laughs> take it out if I feel effort. But um, so you have to take that. You have to take that memory back out. I think a lot of people want to stuff it down. How do you do that? Because I, I, there's this there's this risk of tra- training on something that's. You know, injured. Even when I was training, like, well, for me, if I hit something, and maybe it's just an age thing, although I don't think it really is, and I tweak something or like I bail out of something, I'm like, whack, and I'm like, might have some sort of repercussion from that. I'm just gonna stop training that day and work yeah. on my PTSD later because I think that the further risk of me having poor judgment or why it was I failed, um, I mean, it's it again, it depends on when what the stakes yeah. are. But if there was pain in your bail and your, then I would certainly. You're gonna to have to deal with that later. But if you if it was just fear, so if you you're working on something and you did a successful bail and you just were in a position that you were terrified of, which I think happens a lot. Yep. Um, you know, like a backflip where you do it and you land on your knees, or a or maybe a box jump where your toe slipped out, but you, uh, <laughs> but you but you survived. Maybe you mm-hmm. just stepped over it, but you're still afraid of that precision from now. I think you have to get to as close as that same exact same drill as you can, but with a a lot less risk involved in drill, yep. so something that's very low. But you have to rewrite over the memory because you can't delete it. It's there forever, so you have to pull it out and you just have to associate it with other wins. Uh, what, and I like to do that as soon as possible because it's just it's just so easy to soak up the fear and just like get addicted to it and let it sit there and hover mm. around in it. But you have to fight it and you have to push it back out and associate it with other things and other wins and other good feelings because man yeah. it'll stick forever i still have uh, a backflip fail when i hit my head on the on the on a box and i needed staples on my head um even though i wasn't afraid of it i hit my head i sprayed blood everywhere <laughs> and uh when was this boulder two or three i think of training um and blood's everywhere and i'm like laughing at it because it it didn't hurt uh, and I, you know, I pass out afterwards and I go to get staples and I, I still have fear of that. <laughs> I do pass out a lot. It's always in the morning. It's uh, if I don't get breakfast. Um, and so I still, I still have to battle that fear even now. Cause I didn't rewrite it. I didn't think I did backflips off a wall until a year or two later after that. So it's a very easy skill for me, but I still have to, you know, work on that memory. So there's like, don't, there's like let, don't your, make that mistake that I did. Part of your like backflip program executable like files like first one is like fear and you're like no 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the other files load up. Yep. yep. Right? Because you didn't you didn't go in and change that code. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say the, no patches. Just did patch then. No. No patch. Right. You just yeah merge complex. So yeah, it just has to be. That's why it's very good to have a million progressions, because you just go down one or two steps from whatever you failed, whatever scared you, and you just do that a lot. Like you said, repetition. I think you just got to do it over and over and over yep. again. And then, and then you can't get stuck there too, because if you get stuck there again, that fee, you have to, you have to make it back to that point. Otherwise it'll, it'll just never go away. So I think that, you know, um, where you should be when you're working from confidence forwards and not from fear backwards. I think it's a generally risky and, um, poor approach to go find something you're afraid of and then try and work against that fear in general. I think it's better to try and find something you're confident in and then extend that outward as a general practice. Yeah, there are some exceptions to this. There are some exceptions to this, but in general, I don't like it, it's what is that? That this is the mad scientist coach or whatever, where you're just like, oh, well, let's find something you're afraid of and then and then do it like, <laughs> yeah, OK, yeah. Well, what if the fear is legitimate or the fear inhibits your ability to actually do what you're already capable of? Which fear better. does almost all of the time. Almost it's, all the time. It's its job. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's also, I would like to say, there's something deeper that's a, that's like a subroutine um, that is what your more, the more primal self is capable of doing and has been trained. And sometimes the mind can get away, get, get in the way of that. So I think that there is an opportunity for mindfulness meditation to alleviate fear. And that basically just means like the mindfulness meditation of putting attention on something and then realizing it's impermanence and then knowing that it's not completely real and then making a decision or that it's temporary and then making decisions from decisions from those places psychologically. Mm -hmm. That I think is, you know, because believing that this building, you're talking about building fear up like it's a thing that you get addicted to or that always shows up and feeling like you don't have control over it. I would strongly see if you're a person who trains like that, I don't have major issues like that personally, um, but it has gotten in the way of my training before. And so something I've done is just to realize it's impermanence, right? To really focus on it, look at it, let it go away, and then make a better clear-headed decision about what I'm going to actually practice and do. Um, Short-term hacks to get over fear. Like I feel like sometimes music helps me, like it can get me in a zone um, that's a short-term thing. You always don't want to lean on that. Being with friends. And then also like context that you've trained prior because when I was younger, I spent a lot of time playing and alone outside. And and what I would say is definitely the spirit of parkour in exploration and risk-taking and whatnot. The discipline might not have been as refined. But when I was younger, I always thought I was some sort of like X-Men character jumping over barns and climbing in the woods and being alone in very in situations I wouldn't want maybe even to train alone again in the future <laughs> so like that's baked into me from when i was a wee lad and i what i was very interesting to me when i train when i trained started training parkour in context is that i started training in gyms and that felt different to me the surfaces felt different but then when i took that back outside and i went outside either in forests or more like outside and outside environments for some reason i felt twice as good because I had already done a bunch of repetition mm-hmm. in nature. Like my, somehow my brain was familiar with that context of what branches and leaves or, or outside stuff, dirt and things felt like. And I felt more courageous in that environment. So do you guys have environments where you are more courageous? And what would you, what would you, you know, atone to that? Um, 
I'll 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 huck it Harry just about anything in a gym. Yeah, gyms. I'll just mat it up. If I'm talking about short term hack, I'll just mat that thing. Mm. Mat everything. Mat that bad boy. Yeah. Yeah, like it, and like as far as like any sort of acrobatic skills, like I'm so supremely confident that I can bail out of any position that like for flips literally the only thing that prevents me from doing a flip is that my like why are my cns just doesn't know how to do the flip but i'll chuck it somebody is like hey try this flip I'm like, i'll just i'll chuck it because i'm not i i'm just not worried about it as far as like hacks when i'm afraid i don't know i'm i, I think we've talked about this before where my entire purpose for doing parkour is to enjoy it mm-hmm. and sometimes like that fear will pop up and I'm like, this isn't fun for me. And pushing through this fear, it doesn't make me a better sibling. doesn't make me a better business partner. It doesn't make me a better spouse or person. And I just don't want to put energy into it sometimes. So sometimes the hack is literally like, do I actually need to push through this? And for some people that answer is yes, because they tie their identity so much to their their skill as a parkour athlete. And that's great. That's If that's you, that's you. Um, for me, I tie my identity so much more to the people around me. And so if I do encounter something that's genuinely terrifying for me, I'll just be like, you know what? I'm the same person, whether I do this or not. Yeah. And sometimes that does, it get, sometimes that gets rid of the fear and it's like, you're right. Like whether I do this or not is irrelevant. So, and I just want to do it. So then I'll do it. Or half the time I'm like, so it's not worth the effort for me to put this in when I could go do something else more fun and then be home in 20 minutes, enjoying time with my wife rather than sitting here for an hour grinding this skill out. That sounds like, uh, yeah, if you're solo, I would, I feel the same. Yeah. I'm not going to go out and do a fear challenge on my own, uh, especially if it's like a high skill, like, like a uh, challenge that's inherent in the obstacles that I'm in, where it's a jump between things. Uh, because I know if I do it and I beat the fear, it's, it's going to be a very small win for me in the long term. Yeah. But if I'm doing challenges like that with friends that are scary, like uh, going to an ab- abandoned sugar beet factory, there is something about that fear that is pretty fun to experience it's with community. people. Yeah. But that, that's usually low risk and there's it's usually not as um, well, it's dangerous. Like jump, it's like jumping off the roof, right? With yep. the mats. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you could definitely do that on your by yourself. And it would be scary and intimidating. <laughs> Which we did force Jesse to do it by himself. <laughs> yes. You did you do it? Uh, we, so we've jumped off no, of the gym twice one. now no. without Jesse. And he, yeah. That's because you just get squirrely. I, I said, well, I Justin just does get squirrely. I, he straight up is just like, <laughs> like he walks into the gym and I don't know. It's like, he smells like cinnamon. He's like, today's the day we jump off. The roof. Everybody, we're jumping off the roof today. It's cat. Let's go. And I and like, doesn't. Yeah. Dude, it's the cat in him oh, for sure. Man. The cat's like at 3 a.m. is like, I'm going to play yep. and howl. And then he runs around the house howling. And you're like, why? You've, been, you've had all day to howl and scream, <laughs> to jump off the roof. But yep, that's yeah, but no, I haven't done this one yet. But my point being, like, it's significantly more fun with other people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would say uh, the best thing that I like about fear and parkour is that it helps you control your thoughts. If you have that fear, um, you do have to develop a certain control over what you are allowing into your like mental state and you just won't make it very far if you can't control that fear and that like intoxicating, like, uh, I don't know, status that it's, that it has on you. So 
you have to learn very quickly how to shut it off or uh, or walk away from it. But I think if you're doing it right, you'll learn the technique of controlling your thoughts. And it's just like you feel the fear, you identify it, and you work on switching gears immediately. Make a resolution. That is a very useful skill. Um, that transfers far outside parkour, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, oh, I identify I'm angry right now. What is it? And now I'm going to switch off of it. So that's my favorite thing about fear but i don't think i developed it solely through parkour that's you know other another life skill it's that's video games <laughs> video games they certainly can yeah You're like i you know what? i'm just gonna quit before i break something <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no I, so I, I don't that's not a short-term hack though i that, that you can't just do that like that's um especially in fear you have to, i had i had to do that with other things i had to learn how to do that with uh um I don't know, like simple things. I, I feel like I do it with hunger. <laughs> when I feel hungry, I'm like, okay, I'm hungry. And now I'm going to try to just note it just for the next <laughs> one or two minutes. I'm going to shut off my hunger. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> note it. Thank you for telling me that I'm hungry. I'm not going to think about it now for the next minute or two. And I'm just those little small things. And those help me with the much larger problems of fear. But that's mindfulness. You're, you're unwittingly yeah. practicing a yes. discipline yep. yes. at that point. Like oh. any, anybody who owns cats is very good at that. Like the cat walks in and is like, and you're like, noted. 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 And the cat's cat. like, and then they come back around and they start knocking stuff off. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, fine. It's real now. I get it. Other than, One other one that I think I, we can kind of wrap up on, um, but is, is object as bully. Like, have you guys ever had something? And this is sort of like, Oh, and you can make another Legend of Korra reference. There's so many good. There's so many good references here for this. But essentially, it's like if you had a challenge in the gym here, or in a place where you trained consistently, or only trained in this place that you were afraid of, then you go somewhere else to a new gym or a new environment, and you hit something that's bigger because you're around your friends. I've experienced this before, where you get the energy, or like usually traveling and parkour helps with this, and training with other people helps with this. You see someone doing it, you do it, and it's not a big deal. And you're like, oh, wow, I hit that. That was pretty good. And you come back to your old training spot and you realize that that what you were afraid of in the past now is like you're not even afraid of it anymore because it was actually like, you know, a third of the size of the thing that you just did or you know what I mean? Like yep. that. So have you guys ever had what you're what's a, if you're ahead in the gym and, and a bully like that, a future bully where you were like, I can't get that. And then you go somewhere else and get something else and come back and defeat it. Or is there there is there something in this gym or a gym that's easy to understand that well, that bullies you? Now. Yeah, is it you have a, something oh, yeah, that bullies you? There's just no. I don't think there are because I have pretty I have a pretty good handle on what my maximum effort is on in parkour in the related area. So when I see something that's gonna be a bully who tries to be a bully, I just know I can't do that on just any regular day. It's like a prime day you want to fight me (laughs) like i just really want laches but i just know that they're so difficult for me to grab Mm. those like same level pre's so no that's why you don't build me any same level pre's so you've never had anything in the gym that you couldn't do left did something somewhere else came back and then it was easy well that would i mean that would assume that i had it here let's say agent because this is my home gym i don't I haven't been to another gym so much where the challenge was like. It's your master of home gym. We used to train between like three gyms. Denver, Boulder, and up here. Yeah. Jesse? He has no bullies. 
No, I have bullies. I just don't. I just, I just know that they're not. We've just we we just mastered apathy. <laughs> like, as athletes, we've just mastered apathy. Like when something's difficult, we're just like, mm, eh. next thing. All right. And then somebody's like, "But wait, don't you feel regret from not accomplishing that?" And you're like, "No, hmm. that's maybe. good." Yeah, yeah, maybe, I definitely maybe had that, that before, for sure. Yeah, that was back with off ledges. Yeah, back with off ledges, <laughs> which is funny because it's like. In principle, such an easy skill. But oh, yeah. yeah, that's power of trauma, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I want to wrap up with, if you're a coach, um, keep in mind that that injuries and bails and those sorts of things, they are they are trauma, which is a very dense mm-hmm. psychological topic. Um, you're welcome to research it. In fact, there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out recently about it. Um, and know that it is highly variable from person to person. So if... You know, it, it, you get an athlete and they roll an ankle and they're like, oh, and you're like, come on. It's like, is your ankle fine? And they're like, yeah, it doesn't hurt, but I thought I broke it. Some mm-hmm. kids do that. And they're terrified to do a very yeah. small jump on the ground. Just know that like, that may seem really silly and dumb to you, but to them, to their perspective, that that trauma is very deep and very powerful. Um, and you'll have to rewire that. And you'll get kids or adults or teens that are the opposite of that as well, where they just like crack their skull and they're bleeding and they're like, I'm going to try it again. And you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa, <laughs> slow down there. Yeah. So and, and then as athletes, there's absolutely no shame in being like, I'm too scared to attempt this thing and walking away from it. And if you never circle back, I won't think less of you. Yeah, and nobody else should either. Yeah. Because you know what? Like you are more than that jump. Mm-hmm. And you are far more than your fear. So if you walk away from a jump because you're like, I'm worried I might die. That's smart. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if you crush it at a later time and come back, that's your victory. Don't come and like wave it over your belt's head. You know, I was afraid of that. And then I just did it and I got it. And so don't be a, don't be a fear bully. Oh, it's kind of fear bully. We need a new name for for that. We'll come up with that. Yeah. The person who's like, oh yeah, come on. You scared of it? Go you gotta do it. You, you gotta mm-hmm. go afraid. You gotta do it. You gotta do it like a hundred and three times. That's what <laughs> your brain needs to wire the synapses correctly, or whatever bro science they've come up with these days around it's that. It's true. But, it's true. Yeah, that's also why I don't like music. I don't think music should be used to fight fear. Because it becomes your fear bully. Yeah. Well, it's also really easy to just do things because the music is really loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tool. It's a tool. Still, it's not your tool. No. Justin doesn't like angle grinders either. <laughs> I already found uh, Oh, you cradled it? I cradled it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. The angle grinder to undo the like, trauma. I know that you didn't mean to hurt uh-huh. me. <laughs> All right, guys. Out of impulse. <laughs> well, I have a, a wonderful, fun, safe. Spooky. And spooky Halloween. Um, if you're celebrating with friends and family, um, please be safe. Please be smart. Um if you're eating lots of candy, uh, I don't know, it's sh- sugar. Balance it with protein. Um, uh, there's no way to undo sugar. Just like, <laughs> make sure you're oh, enjoying yeah. yourself. If you're eating candy and you're like, this is awful, don't do that. I want you to have fun and enjoy, <laughs> and enjoy your candy eating, okay? Um, but otherwise, if you guys are listening to us, you can watch us on YouTube. Um, and you can see our pretty faces and all of the uh, gestures that we all make as we talk. <laughs> right now, I'm scratching my ear so you can see that if you're watching on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, you can listen to us, which is far more convenient if you're driving, running, working out, um, 
doing dishes, all that stuff. We are on Spotify and Apple and all sorts of places. Podcast players, yeah. Yeah, podcast, all the major podcast players. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.